Welcome to another Aflame teaching session. We hope you enjoy this special message by Hank Kleinschmidt. Did you have a nice lunch and afternoon nap? All right. I thought you would be praying all afternoon, but anyway, shame on you. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about tonight. Really have an expectation for that he wants to do something special, but just to kind of latch on to this morning. So what's the point of this morning? I forgot about that because I got excited. So the outflow of what happens this morning is we're going to see believers that will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That's, that's the outflow. It's, I mean, they stand in, in, you know, Nebuchadnezzar wants to chuck them into the, you know, fiery furnace after they refuse to bow to the statue. So they refuse to bow to the Babylonian system, this whole you know, world, the wealth and the riches and everything that's around us, you know, they refuse to bow. And he says, listen, I'm going to chuck you into that thing. And I love their answer. Uh, I think it's Daniel 3, verse 16, 17, 18. By the way, this is Daniel. Hi, Daniel. You can stand up. He's part of our team. Yay. All right. <laughs> okay. So, um, and their response is amazing. They say, listen, King, like... We know that our God can save us from this fiery furnace. But we want to tell you something. Even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Now, you see, that's somebody that's walking in a revelation of who God is. That's somebody that understands death and resurrection and their walk with the Lord. But they have a revelation of the glory of God. And they said, doesn't matter what happens, it's still worth it. Chuck me in there. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll endure this short momentary affliction <laughs> so that I can have eternal glory with him. Okay? I'm telling you, that's the kind of believer the Lord is looking for right now. He's always looking for that. But I think we shifted a little bit. And we've got to get back to that place where we say, it doesn't matter what comes, good times, bad times, we're not bowing. We're not bowing. Right? Because we saw something in Jesus that is phenomenal, it's amazing, and we're not turning back. How can you turn back? You know? Like, how can, how can you turn back after what you've seen and just tasting salvation and the goodness and the kindness of the Lord? And how do we give that up for anything else? But that's what a revelation of Jesus does in your life, right? Okay. Now I feel better I said that. Okay, go to John chapter 13. Yeah. All right, here we go. You ready for this one? We all know the story. Amen? Yet it's got some new bite to it, according to, well, in my world. (laughs) You decide for yourself. So now before the Passover feast, so again, it's the night before, right? It's that night, the famous night, right? And Jesus is pouring out his heart and he's, he's kind of, it's this emphasis, the stuff he's saying here is so intimate. That's why only the Gospel of John has it because it's, it's not recorded anywhere else. It's these intimate conversations that the Son of God has before his crucifixion night. And he's sharing stuff that is deep. It's coming from a deep, deep place in his heart. Obviously, he's feeling what's coming. And he's, he's laying down his life and he's laying down a message that must have had a massive impact on them, especially when they fought back. I'm sure if you, if, if you were one of them and you started thinking back of the night before the cross, I mean, there must be a ton of things going through your mind, right, if you were one of those guys. And, um, and, it, starts, and it says, now before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that's verse 1, for him to leave this world and return to the Father. Right? So he knows. Obviously, we know he knows. Right? Having greatly loved his own, who were in... Somebody's calling you. <laughs> are you, are you <laughs> I'm sorry. Having greatly loved his own, who were in the world, 
He loved them and continuously loves them with his perfect love to the end. It's kind of an interesting little piece here, just kind of a reminder to us that he, he loved the ones around him. He loved the ones he had to love. He, he really was prepared to become the sacrifice, right? He, was, he did what was required. He loved everybody, and, and this moment is here. You know, it's coming, and Jesus did what he was supposed to do. It's like John is pointing us to the fact that he fulfilled what the Father sent him to do to prepare him for the greatest moment that's coming, right? Verse 2, and it says, It was during supper when the devil had already put the thought of betraying Jesus into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. So Jesus knows where he's going, right? It starts in verse 1. He knows what's coming. The, the devil knows what he's doing, right? Judas, it's already in his heart. That's why, by the way, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs forth the issues of life, right? Sin starts in the heart. It starts with a, something that sits in the heart that's not, rooted, that's not rooted in the kingdom, right? Anyway, that Jesus knowing, I love this part, that Jesus knowing that the Father had put everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was now returning to God. So when I read this, I just thought again about like, so Jesus loved everybody he's supposed to love. He knows what Judas is going to do right now. And yet this phrase is in there, but he knows exactly who he is. Everything was put into his hand. His identity is fixed. He's, he, he's sure of destiny. He's sure of what's coming. He's sure of what he's supposed to do. All of those things is fixed in the Lord, right? So Jesus is not unsure about who he is. He's not unsure about his authority. He's not unsure about his destiny. All of these things are tied in the heart of Jesus. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows all of this stuff, right? He's walking in a revelation of sonship. He's walking in a revelation of who the Father made him. Amen? It's important that you see that, right? Because it does make the next verse a little bit more significant got up from supper, took off his robe, and taking a servant's towel, he tied it around his waist. Right? So some Bible commentaries call this the miracle of humility. Okay? So Jesus, and I want to play it off a little bit for you against the fall of man and the original sin, Right? So, so Jesus, full of revelation about who he is, full, full of all of that, and what it does in Jesus, it, it, it awakens humility in his heart, okay? Now, the other guy that we like less, <laughs> right, Satan, yeah, <laughs> so... He, if you read Ezekiel 28, I'm not going to read all of it, but Ezekiel 28, it speaks of the king of Tyre, and then, then it starts going on, and you actually start reading this thing, and you realize, well, he's actually talking about Satan. He's, he's talking about Lucifer, right? And Ezekiel is giving this word, and he says, how, you know, like it just starts out how beautiful you were, and you're full of wisdom, perfect and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Just listen to this, right? This was a beautiful creature, being, whatever you want to call him, angel, right? The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you. They were prepared on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers and protects. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. I want to walk on those. <laughs> you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness and evil were found in you. Through the abundance of your commerce, you were internally filled with lawlessness and violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you out as a profane and unholy thing from the mountain of God. 
And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. This is what I want you to hear. Your heart was proud and arrogant because of your beauty. Right? So Satan, Lucifer walks with revelation of who he is. He's the covering angel, all this beauty. I mean, he's, he's like the star in heaven, basically, obviously, next to God, under the Lord. And so his revelation of who he is produces something completely different than what it produced in Jesus. His revelation makes him go, I'm going to lift my heart in the presence of the Lord because of my beauty. And the Lord looks at that and he says, you are nothing like me. Get out. I want you to hear this. Jesus, on the other hand, is God, but he humbled himself, Philippians 2, he, he chose the path of humility, humbled himself to the point of death, so humility led him into obedience, by the way, what JC just spoke about, humbled himself to dying death even on the cross. That's the opposite side. On the other side, you get, you get a guy, and, and everything Jesus has in this moment, because he emptied himself of all godly deity, that's what he, Philippians 2 says, sorry, I'm going to say Ephesians, apologies, Philippians. He emptied himself of all godly deity, took on the form of a man, right? So he empties himself the whole time, humbles himself over and over again, and because of that, God says, I will lift your name, and you will be the name that is above every name. Satan gets... What he got, and what does he do? He lifts his heart in arrogance before the Lord because of his beauty. Listen, the sin that created the fall was pride. All sin is rooted in pride. All sin is rooted in pride. It's the beginning point of every single one of our, our falls. It's pride that goes in the presence of God Oh, look how awesome I am. Versus your beauty, Lord. Look how awesome you are. Pride goes, everything that he's given me, I take and it somehow builds me up. Versus Jesus that knows everything is given unto him. Everything is his. He knows where he's going and he goes, well, let's take off my cloak and let's take off the job of a handmaid and we're going to wash feet right now. It's like this moment in time before the cross and he goes, I'm just going to fix something real quick. <laughs> I just want to fix this one thing. I know who I am. I've loved well. I know where I'm going. I'm going to humble myself. Where our nature sometimes is, I get a revelation of who I am, I'm going to do awesome stuff, and I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going to lift my heart in the presence of the Lord. Right? It's so easy that we step into that place. It's so easy that we forget where does all of this come from? Why am I breathing today? Why am I here today? Why am I still alive today? So easy we forget that. So easy we slip into this wrong kind of thinking. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 3, it says, Now, now about food, sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge and then he goes and he makes the statement, Paul, he says, knowledge makes people arrogant. <laughs> it puffs us up. So revelation, encounters, miracles, whatever it is, if it's channeled through the wrong place in our heart, it actually puffs us up. It creates pride in us. It lifts us. It creates arrogance. Because what do we suddenly do? It becomes... My thinking against your thinking, my opinion against your opinion, my revelation against your revelation, or how spiritual I am against how spiritual you are. Right? And 
It's how, and everything becomes a competition if we don't watch out. And everything becomes something that we take for ourselves and it's our pride that starts exalting us and, our, and the arrogance of our heart before the Lord. And then he goes on, uh, Paul, and he says, but love unselfishly seeks the best for others. It builds up and encourages others to grow in wisdom. If anyone imagines that he knows and understands anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by Him. Isn't that beautiful? It's like this revelation, knowledge, and all of this stuff is going on, and, we, and it just puffs us up, and it puffs us up. Why? Because we're not loving anymore. We forgot the way of the King. Jesus stands there and they say he loved well. He loved all those the Lord gave him. Judas is sitting in the room. He's included in the conversation. He's loving Judas. That's phenomenal. It's the miracle of humility. Right? It's the miracle of humility. And, and Jesus gets on his knees and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. Isn't that something? It's opposed to what we see. It's opposed to what we believe. It's in a sense, I know we know humility is valuable and all of those things, but we struggle so much sometimes to live it out. We struggle so much when God starts moving even that, that it becomes about me. It's, it's, and it's, I'm preaching to myself, so please understand I'm not getting this right. It's, it's a... Cutting both ways, remember. It's like so easily it becomes about, oh, you're so oh, you're awesome and anointed and oh, my goodness. And then we forget, but it's Him. Because I know who I am without Him. I don't know if you can remember who you are without Him, but I very clearly remember who I am without Him. I even remember who I am just the other day when I kind of lost focus a little bit. It's not that pretty. It's like I always tell people, they're like, oh, man, yeah, we, we just want to walk with you. I'm like, yeah, until you get to know me. <laughs> then you might go, no, I'm quite happy where I am. <laughs> Let's not do that, right? Because wh what are you seeing right now? You're seeing anointing. It's got nothing to do with me, to be quite honest. You're seeing Him, hopefully. When you healed that person in the hospital, when you prayed for Him, who did it? So when we share the story, whose stories are we sharing? Who must be glorified? But we can say it in a way where it kind of goes, there's a bit too much of Hank in that story. I'm going to preach it myself because I know you guys don't do that. <laughs> I would sometimes stand on a pulpit and I would share a story. And as I share it, I can feel the Lord going, you're touching my glory now. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to stay in that space. I don't want to be in that dangerous territory. Verse 5 of Matthew, John, no, John whatever. No. Before I go there, Daniel chapter 5, 20. Sorry, lots of verses. But when his heart, that is Nebuchadnezzar, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. If you want to lose your authority in the Lord, start moving in arrogance and pride. If we want to lose the anointing, if we want to lose the preciousness of God, Start lifting your heart in the presence of the Lord because of your, my beauty. 
John 13, verse 5, Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which was tied around his waist. When he came to Simon Peter, I love Peter. I really love him because he's so real. He's just so real. He's just so, you know, <laughs> just messes up over and over again and says stupid stuff. But, but he's real, you know, he's real. Like him. And again, it's him. It's always him a little bit. <laughs> you know what? I think he's the guy who always felt like something needs to be done right now. And Jesus is just kind of, Peter, can I just do what I want? Why are you always interfering? I'm busy. This, we're having a moment, Peter. And Peter is just like, but I just feel like we've got to bring something extra to the table. I just want to help you out, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter, just sit down. I'm just going to write this stuff down, man. Are you getting this? Matthew's going to throw you in front of the bus, buddy. Anyway, but I love him. When he came to Simon Peter, he said, Peter said to him, Lord, are you, are you going to wash my feet? And, and it's, it's, a, it's a sobering moment for Peter, right? It's a, this is not happening. Is this, this shouldn't happen, right? Is this thing, yeah. This shouldn't happen. And Jesus replied to him, you, you do not realize now what I'm, what I'm doing, but you will fully understand it later. So, so Jesus is in a nice way telling him, listen, this has got to happen, you know, sit down. Right? And Peter again, obviously being Peter, Peter said, said to him, you will never wash my feet. Like... And the, what I think might be happening in the heart of Peter right now is very normal kind of a reaction. But the funny part about it, it's again rooted in pride. Because it's, it's Jesus coming saying, listen, I'm doing something to you right now and you're not getting it. So the best thing you can do is just be quiet and let me do what I want to do. Right? And Peter goes, you are not doing this. And what I hear Peter is saying is, I'm supposed to wash your feet, which is absolutely right. That's the right order. But even in that, it's kind of hidden this little bit of pride because I'm just seeing Peter, it's just me, I don't have a Bible verse for it, but I'm seeing Peter going, look, he's washing John's feet. <laughs> I can't believe John allowed that. <laughs> Judas, we all knew he would take it, right? And then he comes to him and he's like, <laughs> just wait, everybody. I'm going to do the humility thing right now, right? Check it out. <laughs> I shall humble myself. No, Lord, you're not washing mine. I'm going to wash yours, Right? And we kind of do that. It's like, you know, no, 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 no. I, I, I will wash not only JC's car, I will bring him Boltong and Druvors. And I'll carry his bag, right? And then the next guy's like, <laughs> I'm going to babysit all eight children. <laughs> Seven, six, five, four. I, I, not uh, for a week, I'll babysit them. This is my humility, right? And then the other one is like, I'm going to serve in Africa and I shall suffer. And even when help is offered to me, I, I shall deny it because we are suffering for Jesus right now. And it's pride speaking in us. It's pride. You know, I'm going to out-humble you. <laughs> You can't out-humble somebody else. That's not real. Unless it's real. Unless it's truly in your heart. Truly in your heart. Because you have a revelation about who you are. And that revelation of God's love for you actually humbles you. I, I'm convinced that if the revelation of His love for us gets a hold of us, you will be more humble. 
not more prideful. Because if you are honest with yourself and you know who you are and you know where you come from and you get the revelation of his love, something in you must break and you must actually go, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And he washes their feet. And Peter almost misses the moment. He almost misses the moment. Everything about Jesus, every stage of his earthly life was marked with humility. His birth, I mean, just coming to earth, let's be honest. <laughs> let's just be real. He's God, right? He's like, okay, I'm going to take on flesh. and uh, <laughs> you know, Everything about the life of Christ is marked with humility. His birth, the triumphal entry, the cross, his death, Everything is marked with humility. Everything. Isaiah, you know, when he saw the cross in Isaiah 53, it's, it's just beautiful. Just read verse 2 to 3, listen to it. It says, for, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. Like it's, you know. And when we see him, it's like, when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. That is our God. The humility of our Lord, that it's like we didn't even esteem him. We saw his face and we kind of hid our face from him. And so often we go, I want to be esteemed. So often we go, oh, please turn your faces to me. Let people just see. So often we want to be seen in the eyes of man for what we do. And our Lord was none of those things. None of those things. Matthew 11. It's Jesus going and he, and he shouts out, remember that beautiful phrase that he says, again, all, verse 26, he goes, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. He knows who he is, right? It's just like he knows and no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. A little bit misunderstood. No one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son and to anyone whom the Son will reveal Him. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. That you would... I missed the verse. Let me go there. doesn't make sense now. Uh... Are you guys still tracking with me? I say, all, all things have been over to me by my Father, and no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Then he goes on and he says the famous words. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Beautiful, right? Take my yoke upon you, I love this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Like, Jesus introduces himself to the world and he says, learn from me, because I'm gentle and I'm humble. That's Phenomenal. Like the character traits of our Lord that he feels he needs to shout is, hey, look at me. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble. Contradicts a lot of things, doesn't it? He could have said, I'm glorious, I'm brilliant, I'm the dead raiser, I'm powerful, I'm the miracle worker, I'm the one who walks on water, I, I silence storms, 
learn from me. And it all would have been good, by the way. There's pretty decent reasons. And he goes, no, no, I'm humble and I'm gentle. Because he's rewriting history. He's rewriting what happened at the fall. And he's challenging us, right? Because what does James 4 verse 6 say? It says, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's literally you become an enemy of God when you're filled with pride. He hates it. Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, I hate evil. I hate arrogance and pride and a perverted speech. He says, I hate this. It's like he's he's not being kind about it. He absolutely hates pride. He hates arrogance. And he says, I will not have that around me. And Jesus, when he does his John 13 moment, you know, he washes their feet, goes through the whole thing. Peter jumps up, just read that. And then, remember, he wanted to stop Jesus. Don't do that. And then he carries on. Then Jesus replies to Peter, you shall not wash my feet. And then Jesus goes, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That's phenomenal. It's like he's saying, listen, buddy, I, I get you, but if I don't do this, you don't, you're not part of me. He's, he's drawing a line in the sand because then Peter goes, obviously, Peter, <laughs> Peter jumps up again and he's like, Lord, in that case, don't just wash my feet, wash everything. Wash my hands, wash my head, just, you know. <laughs> Love Peter. I mean, come on, right? Isn't it awesome? <laughs> and then again, Jesus is like, oh, you should have sat down, Peter. <laughs> Jesus is like, Peter, anyone who's bathed needs only to wash his feet and is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, right? And so he's actually going, no, 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 you've been with me, you're clean. I'm talking about your feet here, right? And we'll get into that now. But Peter is all over, you know? And this whole night exposes something in the heart of Peter, by the way. Because it's over and over Peter going, I'm going to love you better than they are loving you. They all run, I'll stay with you. It's Peter going over and over, Lord, they're awesome, I'm a little bit more awesome. They love you, but they don't love me like I do. They don't love you like I do. Even in that, there's danger for us. You know, but have you seen what I've done for the Lord? Look at the price I'm paying. They'll leave you, I won't. And then the pressure came. And pride will always fall. Always. It will fall. But he exalts the humble. He exalts the humble. Right? Second Corinthians, it says, but we have this precious treasure in unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of the power of God, the glory, will be shown through us. So what is Paul saying? You know, Paul got this, right? Because remember, the Lord called him on it. He said, Paul, your weakness perfects my power. Your weakness perfects my power. I need weak earthen vessels. You see, pride encloses the glory on the inside of us where humility releases it, right? Humility releases the glory in the world around us where pride actually what it does is it it blocks it in. It sounds strange, but but the Lord won't do it. The Lord won't do it if we're filled with pride. He's not going to move through us the way we want to. He will oppose us. Can I talk on my crack? I think this thing is busy. My type comes off. Okay. Hello? 
Is that good? Toots, toots. Sorry, Wilson. Are, we, are, we, are you happy? Okay, all right. All right. So, it, yeah, it encloses us, right? It locks it up where he says, I'm humble, I'm all of those things. Proverbs 13, verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention. Did you hear that? Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride cometh contention. So the root of all contention, the root of all fighting and disagreement is pride. It's pride. It's my knowledge that puffed itself up against your knowledge that puffed itself up. And the Lord goes, where is the love? Because <laughs> what is, you know, at the beginning of the year we went through, like we go through stuff, you know that, Nate? Yeah. So we went through stuff, still going through stuff at times, and it's a very contentious situation, very much so. And um, it's hurting, it's painful, there's a lot of stuff going on which is not awesome. Right? Everybody's... David Hogan, by the way, that's one of his fam most famous things that he ever told me. Like, I told him something like, there's a bad situation going on, like, in our team or something, and I'm kind of complaining and just going, oh, you know, what am I supposed to do? And David Hogan, with his beard and his... kind of goes, he's like, everybody's wrong, son. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, you're all guilty. I'm like, what does that mean? And that was it. And I'm like, that doesn't help at all. I don't feel better. I don't feel better. But it's become one of my favorite sayings now, because he's right. We're all wrong. <laughs> There's no situation where you can go, oh, no, it was no, I did everything perfect. No, it, no, there isn't a situation. Like, we're all wrong. We're all wrong. We all mess up in situations. Maybe some more than others. I get that. Peter had his, you know, his proof, <laughs> right? But we're all wrong. I mean, John is the guy who wrote, but I'm the one the Lord loves the most. So, how, you know, how humble was that? I don't know, Right? <laughs> So we're all a little bit off in situations, but we would love to make it that it's only you. They are. It's them. It wasn't me. They made me do it. No, they didn't. Right? Anyway, but the point is, I'm sitting in this situation. We're wrong. They're wrong. Who's more wrong? I don't know. Ask the Lord. Right? I've got stuff I need to repent for. They've got stuff they need to repent for. If they're going to do it, if I'm going to do it, that's our choice. That's our choice right? And these things are coming at me, and I literally, I hear the Lord say, don't take the bait. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I get it, but it's, the Lord says, don't pick this thing up. Don't take it. And I'm like, and I'm struck, because I don't want to, but I want to. Why is that? I don't want to, but I want to. You know, I'm like, you know, because I can take that comment that was just thrown at me, and I can work with it. I can work with that thing. We can, I have solid arguments. I have good facts. We can run this thing, right? And the Lord tells me, don't take the bait. This is what I want to tell you. I didn't, thank you, Jesus, because he helped me. But why do I want to take it? Pride. Because I want to be right. I want to be right. I want to be right so badly. Pride causes contention because that's what it's about. It's about I'm right and you're wrong. You don't understand. That's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the way it works. That's knowledge that puffs up. And sometimes what you need to do is choose the path of humility because what does that mean? The accusation is still over me from that person, but in the Lord it's not. In the Lord it's not. The accusations are still coming, but in the Lord I'm redeemed, I've done what I feel I had to do in His eyes. Now that's also dangerous, especially if you isolate yourself, because then you're like, but I did everything I'm supposed to do. And then you listen to people, you're like, the Lord didn't tell you that, don't be ridiculous. You know, that's not, what the, that's not the Lord. The Lord wouldn't tell you to do that. No, 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 no. You've got to be sure that you checked and that you're in accountability and all those things. But what do we need to do? We need to take off our robes, take off our mantles, take off our stuff 
and just get down on our knees and wash some feet and just go, I don't have to be right. The Lord will redeem me. Everything has been given into my hands. I'm set free. I know where I'm going and Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do with me. Like the Father is going to do with Jesus what he's going to do with Jesus in the next couple of days out of John 13. That's submission. That's yieldedness. That's humility. That's humility. Humility is not personality, by the way. Because some people look more humble because of personality. Some people are, are, how can I put it? Like you have a softer personality. I don't know how to put it, but you know what I mean? There's a, a more a gentle personality and people go, oh, you're so humble. Like, and then I, I kind of go, because people say that to me sometimes, like you're, you're so humble. And I go, I think it might be my personality. I don't know if you're seeing my heart. Because I know my heart and my personality is not necessarily the same thing. What's going on in my heart might not be as humble because you perceive me that way because I'm gentle maybe. That doesn't mean I'm humble. Where you can get a kind of personality walk, you know, like this bulldog. But boy, they're teachable, they're soft, quick to repent, humble. That's humility. It's not about the noise levels around the person that makes him humble or not. It's not that you get what I mean. It's not the... It's the heart. What does humility look like? It washes feet. Humility goes down and it says, Peter, Peter, just sit down. Come to me because I am humble and I am gentle, right? Come and learn from me. By the way, for the ministers, pastors, teachers, leaders in the room, that is the reason why people are supposed to learn from us. Humility and gentleness. Blessed are the poor, first thing he said, Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want heaven? Do you want the manifestations of God? Do you want the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Wash feet. Humility. Humility. It's Jesus. To Him be the glory. To Him be the glory. We lift the name of Jesus. A couple of verses later, blessed are the meek, which is gentle, and they will do what? Inherit the earth. So if you want heaven and earth, gentleness and humility is the path. If you want to inherit the kingdom, if you want to inherit the earth, gentleness and humility is the path. Right? But pride stands up on the inside. How many likes, how many clicks, how many views, how many this, how many that, you know, how many compliments did I get today? <laughs> how many sales, how big is my house, how big is my bank account, how awesome is my children, did you see what my boy did? I'm not, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, he's, um, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> and they are awesome, I know. But, you know, there's a way where it becomes this competition thing. I, you know, sometimes I'll walk into a place and you talk to people and they talk about their children and it's beautiful, man. You get so excited because you see this dad's heart is just, it's just burning, you know. It's just, oh, my boy. And then other times you step into conversations and this is how I usually know is they'll share a story about how awesome their child is or something that their child did that is cute or great or wonderful. And then as parents, we go, oh, yeah, and the other day my child did this. And, and then the minute you say that, it becomes a tennis match. Yeah, but mine did that. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Usually what I do is I'm just, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not playing that game with you. Have fun. <laughs> right? Luckily with tennis, you need an opponent. Otherwise, it's boring. Yeah. Stop being the opponent. Stop being the opponent. Just let them knock it out of the park, man. Let them go off. And I don't mean it in a nasty way. Sometimes people just need a place where they can just say, this is awesome and wonderful. They just need that place of acceptance where they just go, okay. You know. Anyway, so Jesus washes their feet. Did I mention that? Let me give you one more nice verse. This is the other thing. Like I said, Jesus stands, again, Peter, a couple of chapters later. So John 18, like they caught him now, they're in the garden of Gethsemane. They caught him and, and 
Peter draws the sword. We all know the story, cuts off the guy's ear. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, Peter. <laughs> we spoke about this. Right? I know, I think God loves that man so much. And the ear is off. Jesus picks it up, puts it back on, you know. <laughs> Peter. Anyway. And then Jesus makes the statement, John 18, 11. And I love it. It's so powerful. It's humility. He says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has prepared for me? Yeah. Pride will pull you away from the cup. Peter's pride wanted to pull Jesus out of a cup of destiny that the Lord set up for his son so that glory will await him on the other side. And pride will say, no, we're not suffering today. No, suffering is not the way. And Jesus goes, this is the cup my father prepared. Don't deny me. Don't deny me. See, humility can recognize the moment. Humility recognizes that moment. But I want to tell you something beautiful about our friend Peter. Who knows how he died? Yeah, most of you know. Crucified upside down, right? But do you know the whole story? Peter was in Rome. Okay. I've never been able to tell the story and keep it together. So tonight's going to be the night. So Peter is in Rome. The believers come and they tell him, Peter, they're coming for you. It's, they're going to kill you. We're going to persecute you. And everybody's advice is, you need to get out of the city. And Peter agrees. He says, okay, good. And he walks out of the city, out of Rome, and he says when he gets to the gate, he's just about to leave the gate. And the next minute he stops and he feels the presence of God is not with him. And he stops right there and he goes, Lord, why are you not with me? And the Lord says to him, Peter, <laughs> It's your time. And they say he turned around just there and he walked straight to the Caesar and he handed himself over and he said, the only thing is let me be crucified upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my king. Peter got it. <laughs> Suddenly it wasn't anymore. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the revivalist of the hour. I'm going to be the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. Suddenly it's just, I'm surrendered. And when my time is up, it's up. And this is what I know. I'm not even worthy to die like my king. So please put me upside down on the ground. And that is not something he decided before. And that's something that God worked in his heart. Because it's a man whose feet was washed. It's a man who saw it over and over and over again. And his pride was broken at the same time that Jesus humbled himself. It's beautiful. Jesus restores the original sin and this whole cross story. Everything about the cross is Jesus restoring man's original sin. Peter still steps into it. Like, I will not deny you. He denies him. I will not. And then he does it. He's like just... And he's done, he's broken, he's a goner. And then in John chapter 21, it's like Jesus rocks up and he says, Peter, are you ready to be real with me now? And for the first time, Peter is real and, Peter, and, and Jesus goes, do you agape me? Because that's what Peter was saying all along. I agape you, that is a godly love, that is an unconditional love. That's what he was saying, I will not leave you, I will agape you, you will not wash, I'm, I'm the one, Lord. And he goes, will you agape me? And Peter goes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Suddenly he got it. He got it. I cannot love like you love unless you do it in me. And he humbles himself. And it's a man that goes and he says, you know what? My time is up. I'll take the cross. I'll take my cross. Right? We have to let go of pride. We have to bury that thing tonight. 
just say, Lord, we're done. We're done. Whatever that looks like in your life. John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. What does that look like tonight for us? You know, I know this is not a Friday night message. I know, I told Marie's on the way, this is not a Friday night message. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> but it actually is. It's an Easter message. It's a cross message. Because there's glory awaiting on the other side. I don't know if, I think I've told it, but I'm going to tell it again. Pride almost broke my relationship with you. You don't even know it. In our early days, we were moving, you know, I'm moving and stuff, JC's moving and stuff, and suddenly I hear he's being called into very important people's offices, and I'm not invited. I'm going, <laughs> and he finds me, I'm like, why am I not invited? Like, you know, like when you like speak to your wife, it's like, it doesn't bother me. You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm not offended at all. Why? Why? I don't know. I don't even want to be invited. <laughs> but in the back of your head, you're kind of going, I wonder why I'm not invited. <laughs> so close. So close. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, honor this guy. You're going to learn from him. You see, pride could have created contention 10 11, 12 years ago. I don't know if you know the story. Anyway, no, no. Isn't it weird? And there was no reason for it. No reason. It's just insecurity. Just insecurity. And it almost, it could so easily break a relationship that is now 10, 12 years in the making. How many losses have we had because of pride? Thank you for listening to this session. We hope that you were blessed by it. For more information about the ministry, go to www.aflame.co.za or find us on Facebook and Instagram under Aflame Ministries. Until next time, be blessed in Jesus' name.